they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the first Friday of June, June 4th. And I, I don't know if anybody noticed, but if you're going to daily mass, June begins with an interesting, um, well, just let's say that the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. And the first three days of June, we celebrate a martyr every single day, at least one, actually more than one, Justin, Martyr, and Companions. Um, then on the second, there were two martyrs. And then yesterday was St. Charles Luanga and Companions. And then now there's no, no feast today, but tomorrow, um, tomorrow is the feast of St. Boniface, who was also a martyr. So June 2nd was Marcellinus and Peter. So you have Justin Martyr and Companions, Marcellinus and Peter, St. Charles Luanga and Companion martyrs. And then nothing today. We have... We get to focus on Jesus and realize every day at Mass we, we celebrate Christ. And that's, but but when, we, when we honor the saints, we are um, honoring God's work, what, the work that God does in us. And I just wanted to point this out. I was just it's like, wow, June really begins like a whoa. You know, are we, do we hear the call? Do we hear the call of the Lord? What is he calling us to? He's calling us to live the faith to the full. And um, that hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, Christ is, you know, still calling us to live the faith to the full. And that's why we want to study the scriptures. We want to hear that call. We want to understand how we are supposed to respond. So we want to look at today's scriptures. We want to look at uh, a couple of feasts that, um, well, one feast that could have been celebrated either yesterday, depending on where you are, or is going to be celebrated on Sunday, an incredibly profound feast in the Catholic Church. And of course, this is Bible with the Barbers, so we're looking at it from a scriptural perspective. We want to understand from the scriptures, why does the Catholic Church celebrate these things? And um, so we will get started here with today's gospel um, and just try and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And we'll call on the angels to guide us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus, Deus, Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. And we want to um, remember to honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus on this Friday, the first Friday of the month of June. And the gospel today is from Mark 12, 35 through 37, a very short gospel. Okay, so Mark 12, 35 through 37. As Jesus was teaching in the temple area, he said, how do the scribes claim that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? The great cow, great the great crowd heard this with delight. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we doing here? Jesus is in the temple. And, um, you know, there, there's been some, the, the Sadducees had come up and asked him the question about the resurrection, you know, um, how could there be a resurrection of the dead? And, um, 
and then the, the, the scribe had, one of the scribes had come up and said, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And now Jesus is making a commentary. He, he, he's getting this opposition, okay? He's getting this opposition from, it, it, it's typical. People tend to look to people in authority to give them guidance. And, and you know, yeah, we should. God gives people authority, you know, parents. God gives us authority over our children so we can lead our children to God because God has authority over us and we're supposed to submit to the authority of God. So he, he has people on earth that are have authority over us. But in our world, you know, if people are very learned, we tend to think, well, gosh, they must know what they're talking about. But learned people um, don't always know what they're talking about. Actually, um, they, how do we say this? Learned people can twist the truth, okay? Um, you had a, a thing uh, in Greek, sophistry, where you take and you twist the words so that they can mean anything you want them to mean, okay? And you're not really pursuing the truth. The truth, what is truth? Well, truth is when we adapt our minds to reality, okay? The adequation of the mind to reality. When our mind recognizes reality as reality, when we see something that's actually existing in reality, but in our mind we say, well, you know, I don't like it that way, so I'm going to redefine something or change it or say, well, I don't feel that way, so that couldn't be true for me. Um, well, then we're not living in a, the real world, okay? For instance, the law of gravity. Well, I don't believe there's gravity, so I'm going to jump off. I'm going to go to the edge of the, the, the Grand Canyon and jump off the rim. You know, it's not the fall that hurts, they tell me. It's the sudden stop at the end. I had a niece who... Um, once was hiking and she was getting dehydrated. So she started uh, climbing down this cliff. It was not exactly a cliff, but she was, cause she heard water. And as she's going down, she's realizing I'm too dehydrated to do this. So she tries to go back up. And at that point she slipped and she started to free fall. And she said, you know, the free fall was actually rather exhilarating. Thanks be to God. Um, as she free fell, <laughs> she went through a tree before she got to the ground. The tree slowed her down enough so that when she hit the ground, it didn't kill her. The fall probably would have killed her if she had just free fallen to the end. Now, she didn't do that intentionally, <laughs> but, but she said the fall was actually rather exhilarating. Uh, the, the, the sudden stop at the end was rather devastating, but she lived through it by the grace of God. Uh, my point being that um, we look to those in authority to tell us the truth, and that doesn't always happen. So sometimes people in authority have decided they don't like reality and they want to redefine it. So what's Jesus talking about here? Okay, he's in the temple area and he says, how is it that the scribes claim that the Christ is the son of David? Now, who are the scribes? Those are the people who can write, the people who have studied the languages and they can write, all right? And they study, so because they study, they know the books rather well. So they know the Old Testament, they know the prophecies, they know uh, what God has promised. And... Um, they're saying that Christ is the Christ, the Messiah will be the son of David. Well, why? Because God promised David that there would come a king from his line whose kingdom would not end. His kingdom would never end, that he would be a king, an eternal king over Israel. And, but, but Jesus goes on to say something. He says, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. Now, we might just read over that and say, well, so what? You know, what difference? Wait a minute. Stop. Jesus just said, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, where is this quote from? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your foot. It's Psalm 110. Jesus just said, 
that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's funny. Somebody mentioned that there's a certain priest who doesn't like reality. And so he said, even though in the writings of St. Paul, uh, the scriptures condemn homosexuality as a grave moral evil, um, but St. Paul was mistaken. Well, wait a minute. Let's rewrite that in the way that Jesus would understand it. Even though the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write that God is offended by homosexuality because it's a grave moral evil and it degrades the person who is engaging in it and therefore destroys the image of God in them. All of us are made in God's image and we're supposed to image God in everything we do. Um, but, but, you know, this, this person, this modern day person, this priest who calls himself a theologian and a priest of the Catholic Church wants to disagree with the Holy Spirit. You see, by saying, well, Paul wrote, and I disagree with Paul, it's clear that in Paul, you know, but no, the Holy Spirit is the primary author of scripture. Bible with the barbers. Let's get it straight, people. The Holy Spirit is the primary author of scriptures. The Catholic Church has always taught that and still teaches that. So those theologians out there who are saying, well, you know, I can pick and choose. The only things in the Bible that are um, inerrant or inspired are those things that apply to um, our faith. Well, excuse me, every word of the Bible implies to our faith because it's God. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through the scriptures. He is instructing us. So, and Jesus is affirming this. The Holy Spirit, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right. Well, what does this mean? The Lord said to my Lord. How is David calling him Lord? If the Christ is David's son, then why is David calling him Lord? Because David is essentially calling him God. The word Lord, Kyrios, the Greek word Kyrios, which we translate Lord, was at first, you know, the Hebrews called, and they didn't use the word Yahweh. So, um, because that was not, they couldn't speak it. They couldn't, God's name was so holy, they wouldn't speak it. But when they said Lord, in this case, because he says, the Lord said to my Lord, and it's the Lord with a capital L. So Jesus is saying that the Christ is God, is God himself. He is equal to, he is God. And that David called him God. So David calls him God. So how is he David's son? And of course, how is he David's son? Well, because God became man. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. Do we really think about what that means? The God who made us. God is not a solitude unto himself. And this is how we didn't know God was really a, well, we, we know in the Old Testament, God called himself father, but we didn't realize he was really a father from all eternity. There, God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons, a communion of love and life. He is father, son, and Holy Spirit. The father is a father because he has a son. And from all eternity, he begets his son and his son really becomes man. So as man, his human nature is descended from the line of David. The Blessed Mother and St. Joseph are from the house of David. But as God, he is God. And now God has become man. So there's that music. That music. I love that music, but it interrupts us. (laughs) So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Stay with us. We have more. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And thank you for your prayers and sacrifices. From Virgin Most Powerful Radio, from the bottom of our hearts.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. And um, you heard the ad. I hope you heard the ad. <laughs> that next weekend, June uh, um, 11th, I believe it is. Uh, no, 7 and 5 is 12. June 12th, we have a men's conference here. So um, I hope, I hope I, I know there's a lot of people have signed up for it. So um, don't forget about the men's conference and um, the donor dinner the night before. Also, I want to thank all of our supporters and all of our listeners. The, the people who listen on our app, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, has its own app on your iPhone um, or Android. It also has its um, own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and you just type the whole thing out as one word, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And then um, we are on Rumble, and I believe we're still on Facebook and Twitter but um, whatever way you're listening, and the stations of the Cross Radio Station, thank you so much for picking up our shows and, and playing them. And I, I do hope that the Bible with the Barbers is an inspiration for all of you to really, um, you know, come closer to the Lord. And I, I just, just to comment, I, you know, they say I have a master's degree in biblical studies, and I, I'm so blessed. John Paul Great University in San Diego for a while offered a master's degree in biblical studies. It was the only Catholic university in the United States that was offering that. And I am so very blessed. Um, a very good priest friend of ours suggested to me that I pursue my master's. And I was like, well, how am I going to do that from home? Because I can't leave home. And John Paul the Great was offering this online. I, I got to study Greek. I got to study Hebrew in my middle 50s. I actually passed both classes. Um, I loved it. But, but what happened was in the study of the scriptures, in looking at them more deeply, when you do this, when you do a master's degree, you're, you're doing, I did was it from 2012 to 2015? Um, and I did the quarter system and did four, four quarters every year for those three years. And wow, it, it, and I thank God, it opened up a love for the scriptures. I went to daily mass from the time I was a child because my parents took me to daily mass. I was so blessed. And my parents went to daily mass. But to, to be able to study the scriptures and, and to, to fall in love with God's word and to really understand the Catholic Church has always taught and still teaches the scriptures are the inspired word of God and the original texts are inerrant. That's why, you know, biblical scholars have to go back and study the original texts. You can have a bad translation. You can have a bad copy and you can, maybe we might not understand, you know, <laughs> some people think that man's greatest problem is, is concupiscence. In terms of the flesh and, and the temptation, well, what about pride? <laughs> I think man's greatest problem is pride. You know, the devil fell. He, he rebelled against God. He didn't have a body, but he had pride. And he tries to inspire us to pride. So let's resist that pride. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord and open up his holy word and say, Lord, I believe that this is your word. So just a few more words on today's gospel. The Catechism of the Catholic Church has some references here. Paragraph 202 Jesus himself affirms that God is the one Lord whom you must love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That was the passage just before today's passage. It was the gospel of yes yesterday. At the same time, Jesus gives us to understand that he himself is the Lord. Jesus is God. You see, it is Jesus who tells us that God is a trinity of persons. This was the revelation of the new covenant, that God is not a solitude unto himself, but he's a community of love and life. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And this is from all eternity. And all three are God. There's only one God. Yes, he insisted on that in the Old Testament because there is only one God. But there are three divine persons in God. And this is the great mystery of Christianity. This is the mystery that some religions can't accept. No, God couldn't be. You're worshiping three gods. No, Catholics, Christians don't worship three gods. We worship one God in three divine persons. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. There's only one Godhead. But... They are distinct persons, and, and it's, it's, it's a mystery. No, I can't fully understand it. I'm not God. So, so um, by the way, that reading, you would have had that reading yesterday um, that I was referring to where the, the Sadge- that one, of the, one of the scribes asked Jesus about what's the greatest commandment of love. That's Thursday of the ninth week in ordinary time. If you didn't celebrate Corpus Christi yesterday and you celebrated the ninth week in ordinary time thir- Thursday, then that's the reading you would have had. Um, and so that's why I reference that. So today we have this. So Jesus is clearly claiming Godhead for himself. And, and it says here at the end, the great crowd heard this with delight. Why would the great crowd hear it with delight? Well, the great crowd was rather oppressed. You know, I, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't have a real um, high opinion of ordinary people. They looked down on them, actually. I don't know if you remember, um, there was, uh, the, 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 the Sanhedrin sends the guards out to apprehend Jesus, and they don't bring him back. And, and they say, well, why not? And they say, no man has ever taught like this man. <laughs> and they say to him, what do you mean? Are you too becoming believers in this guy? Are you following this crowd of people out here who are just lost anyway? So that was their idea of the people. They're lost anyway. They're worthless. They're hopeless. That's not God's idea. That's pride. That's human pride. And any one of us can do that. You know, it's like today in our situation, how many of us are looking at people whose names are in the news almost every day? People who have lied to us in the last year. People have lied to us for many years, some of them. And we're saying, well, they're going to get theirs. Just you wait. Just God's going to get them. And we're just waiting for justice to fall. Should we be waiting for justice to fall? Can I stand before God? Am I the one in the crowd who can throw the stone at the woman caught in adultery because I am without sin? Let the one among you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. By the way, that goes for anyone. Anyone who's committed a sin, a public sin that everybody knows about, let the one among you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone. Now, that doesn't mean we don't give fraternal correction. We give fraternal correction, but in charity desiring the salvation of the soul of the person. So when a person's faults are brought out into public and we find out that, you know what, it turns out this person who was trusted and people were looking up to for information has been lying to us for the last year, then we beg God that that person will repent and turn away from their sin. It's interesting and beautiful because yesterday's feast, the feast of St. Charles Luanga and companions, St. Charles Luanga and his companions died because they're from Uganda. They, he, was, he was in charge of the pages in the, prince, in the palace of the king, and the king was a homosexual who was molesting boys, and he would bring boys into his palace so that he could molest them. That's why he had all these pages. Okay, and um, Magwanda or something, his name, I don't know how to say it, it's, it, it's Mwanga, King Mwanga of Uganda. And Charles and his companions, Charles wasn't the first one martyred. Actually, Joseph was the first one martyred. Joseph was in charge of the pages, and he was bringing many of the pages to Christianity, and then he was telling him to resist the king's advances 
you know, for, for homosexual favors. And, and um, the king actually, I mean, Joseph actually confronted the king. And when he confronted the king, the king had him killed. And then he appointed Charles Luanga to be in charge of the pages. Well, Charles had been a catechumen of Joseph, and he was Christian. He had accepted Christianity. And so then he started teaching the pages. And then the king found out. And so the king got really angry, and he, he got all the pages in one room, and he said, all the Christians stand on one side. And that was not only all the Christians, but it was all the catechumens, all those who were studying to be Christians. And then he said, renounce your Christianity. And they said, no, we won't. So they were martyred. They were martyred for their faith. Well, whatever happened to that king? When he came to his deathbed, he repented of his sins and he asked for forgiveness and he was baptized. You see, this is what we want. This is what the heart of God desires. This is what we want. And, and it is biblical. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And this is what we need to do in our time. For ourselves, Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really fully understand what sin is and what it does and how it degrades me and how it offends you. Sin offends God. And yes, we do have to ask God for mercy. God's willing to forgive us at any moment, but he's not going to forgive us if we don't ask. And it is simple as that. My God, I am sorry. Humble myself before the Lord and say, God, I am sorry. I don't want to offend you anymore. Do you want to believe? Then ask for it. Faith is a gift. Ask for it. My God, I want to believe. Give me the gift of faith. Beg God for it. So the crowd is delighted. Well, why is the crowd so delighted? Number one, the crowd recognizes all the messianic signs that are in the life of Jesus. He's feeding the hungry. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The dead are being raised from the dead. It's like dead people have been raised from the dead. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy's got to be the Messiah. If he's not the Messiah, who is? You know, are we willing to rejoice in the light that God is giving? Remember, you know, what Jesus said? What, you know, John the Baptist came and he preached preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance. His was, a, his was a gospel of repentance. And his was a baptism of repentance, a sign that I will give up my sins. Why? So that I can live in the light. And Jesus said, for a while you willingly rejoiced in the light. But you see, Jesus has to be guarded about his messianic claims. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the people, and the people to some extent are expecting a political leader. They're desiring a Messiah who will be like King David, who's going to drive the Romans out and make the Jews a kingdom again. And that's not Jesus's purpose. He's come to establish a kingdom. But remember what he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He hasn't come to establish a kingdom of this world. He came to establish a kingdom where God reigns in the heart of every human being and that every one of us lives continually in the presence of God, just as the angels do constantly aware of and asking God, what is your desire for me in this moment? That takes great discipline of the mind. We have to renounce a lot, our preconceived notions, our desire for worldly fame, our desire for um, notoriety, our desire to be liked. We need to renounce everything that might keep us from God. And it's not about us. It's not drawing attention to ourselves. 
It's about giving praise and glory to God. In the Catholic Church, when we honor the saints, we're not putting the saints above God. When we honor the Blessed Mother, we're not putting her above God. We are following the example of Jesus. He promised to bestow glory upon us. He promised to bestow a kingdom upon us. We are princes and princesses in the household of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the king and he is our brother. Remember? <laughs> He's the firstborn of many brethren. He really be, God really became man. The second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. That is scriptural. And, and we need to believe that God is speaking to us. His word, the scriptures are his word and he's speaking to us. And what is he saying to us? Come to me, all you who labor and find life burdensome, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, how could you say your yoke is easy and that your burden is light? You were crucified. You, you were tortured. God didn't, Jesus didn't come. God didn't become man to remove human suffering. He came to redeem its meaning and fill it with his presence so that when we suffer, we can have Christ in us and through us. And Christ is glorified through our sufferings if we unite it to his. And then he shares his glory with us. God's not stingy. God loves us and he's very generous. Thank you for listening. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barber on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on this Friday, June the 4th. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And Terry's babysitting again. Bo is with us uh, for the weekend, our little grandson. And so, um, you know, keep our family in prayer. Keep everybody in prayer. Our, our daughter-in-law suffers very much. She has something called complex regional pain syndrome. I only put that out there because I asked for prayers for her. God is so good. And all of our sufferings can be offered up in union with Jesus to help to redeem the world. But when you're the one suffering, sometimes <laughs> it gets really hard. It's like Mother Teresa of Calcutta told a beautiful story. She picked, you know, she was picking up the dead and the dying out of the streets. And she had picked up this one old woman and she's, you know, cleaning her wounds and taking care of her and, and loving her. And, and, you know, Mother would always say to, to the people, she would say, she would love them. And then she would say, well, do you know Jesus? And they would say, well, Mother, is he anything like you? And she would say, oh, no, but I try to be like him. Oh, mother, we want to know Jesus. So she had you know, said this. And then she says to the woman, well, you see, all this suffering that you're suffering is like Jesus kissing you. And the old woman looked at mother and she just said, mother, could you please ask Jesus to stop kissing me? And so remember when people suffer and this is, you know, the, the, the Christian teaching isn't that we, we tell people, oh, look at you. You should be so happy. Look at all the suffering you're going through. No, we do everything in our power to alleviate the sufferings of those around us for the love of God to serve them. We're called to love one another and to bear one another's burdens, okay? That's very scriptural. And no, I don't have all the verses and, you know, at my fingertips, but that's not what we're focusing on today. But I want to bring that up. And, and just to pray for all of those who are suffering, anyone who's suffering from complex regional pain syndrome or any kind of pain syndrome, you know, fibromyalgia or these other pain syndromes that are very difficult, they can be debilitating. And um, so anyway, so Bo, Terry's taking care of Bo and I'm here. And my guarding angels here. And your guarding angels are at your side. So we can always ask the angels to help us. And of course, the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to fill us with his light. To give, to beg God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon the church anew. To re-enkindle in us the fire of his love. Because perfect love casts out fear. And what's one of the problems with us right now is we're living in fear. 
Just as the apostles were after Jesus' death, they were living in fear. They locked themselves away in the upper room. We want to break out of that fear. And um, I mentioned during this this show here, and I, I do want to thank everyone who supports us. I don't want to forget to do that. All of our supporters, financial, and that's so important. We can't do this work without your financial support. And also those who support us with their prayers and their sacrifices, because we also can't do this work without you. Because the reality is, is none of us can do this work without God's help. This is God's work. And if it's not God's work, then what we're doing is, is not worth anything. But if it's God's work, then we need God's help. So we humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for that help. And we thank those who do contribute. Thank you so much. And may God richly reward you and bless you. And um, thanks, Stations of the Cross, for picking up our single. And remember, people, we do have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. We have our own app, Virgin Most Powerful Radio app, on the app store on your, on your phone, your smartphone. And, and then we, we're on Rumble. So check, out, check us out on Rumble because we've been banned from YouTube. And then um, we, I believe we're still on Twitter and Facebook. So thank all our listeners and um, keep us in prayer. Keep us in prayer. So I mentioned that Thursday, yesterday, was the Feast of Corpus Christi. Now, in most of the United States, I believe, and maybe all of the United States, that's being celebrated on Sunday. Um, but the actual Feast of Corpus Christi, if you look in the Roman Missal, you will see that the Feast of Corpus Christi is supposed to be celebrated on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday. Well, last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. Yesterday was the Thursday after Trinity Sunday. So um, that's, you know, and what is, what is the importance of this feast? Corpus Christi. Well, it means body of Christ. Where do we get the idea that um, the body of Christ is to be venerated and worshipped? Well, we get it um, at the Last Supper, something the Catholic Church calls the Mass, the Eucharist. At the Last Supper, Jesus takes bread into his own hands and he says, this is my body, which is given up for you. And he takes the chalice of wine and he said, this is the cup of my blood. And in the gospel of Luke, he adds the new covenant, blood of the new covenant, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. And the reality is that what's happening here is this is the Paschal mystery of the Jews. Jesus at the last supper and, and you can find that. The accounts of the Last Supper are in Mark 14, verses 22. Um, the accounts of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper, Mark 14, 22 through 25. And then also that's in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And in Luke 22, 17 through 19. Now, John does not have the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper, but he had John 6, where Jesus talks about the fact that he is the bread of life. And then unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we will have no life in us. And when he says eat his flesh, he means to gnaw on. The word he used was to chew on, to gnaw on, the literal. And of course, at the time, the people thought, you know, read John 6. Many of his disciples left him because they it's like, how can we eat this man's flesh and drink his blood? This is, that was horrible. I mean, the Jews were forbidden to drink blood. You, you didn't eat meat with its lifeblood in it. And so it's a scandalous teaching. But what is this? Well, the Last Supper takes place during the time of the, of, of the uh, Passover. And what is the Passover? The Passover is the living memorial of the Passover that occurred in Egypt when the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And what happened? The Jews were told to sacrifice a lamb, a male, one year old, without any blemish, None of its bones were to be broken. 
Okay. And they had to sacrifice the lamb, roast its flesh whole and eat it in the evening twilight. So there was this Paschal meal and this, this memorial meal for the Jews, they were to keep this memorial in perpetuum and perpetual. And when they celebrated this Passover, it reminded them, it, 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 in, in some sense, they understood that this isn't just a celebrating of something that's in the past. It's a bringing into the present what occurred in the past, that God is still among his people. He's still delivering us from slavery. And of course, what is the primary slavery that we suffer? The slavery to sin. As Hebrews would say, the children remain slaves through their fear of death their whole life long. Slaves of what? Slaves of sin. Out of fear of death. We don't want to fear death. We only hate sin because the one thing that God hates is sin. So we can hate what God hates. So this Paschal mystery, the lamb in the old covenant. Now, in the old covenant, the Jews didn't realize. You know, they just understood that God was delivering. In the immediate context, they were, God was delivering them from slavery in Egypt. He promised he would do that. He was going to take them out of Egypt so that they could worship him. Because what had happened in Egypt? They had started worshiping the Egyptian gods. They were committing idolatry. So God was going to take them out of Egypt and take them out into the desert so that they could come back to the Lord and reorient themselves towards God. And he does this for us too. He wants to take us out of sin so that we aren't slaves of sin anymore, but we have to fight against sin in our lives. So God takes his people out into the desert. He frees them from Egypt. But of course, the difficulty is it seems, you know, they get out there, right? And Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days to receive the Ten Commandments. And the people say, well, where's this Moses? You know, and they say, Aaron, make us a God so that we can worship a God. So he says, well, bring me all your gold. And he makes a golden calf, doesn't he? They're right back in Egypt, aren't they? They're going right back to the slavery that God is trying to take them out of. They're committing debauchery, idolatry. And it's interesting because when Moses comes down from the mountain, Joshua says, I hear the sound of shouting in the camp like war. And Moses says, that doesn't sound like a battle cry. It doesn't sound like the cries of victory and it doesn't sound like the cries of defeat. It sounds like reverie. So when they worship these foreign gods, what else do they fall into? They fall into sexual immorality because this is how the pagans lived. And when the Jews were among the pagans, they just started to observe pagan ways. And this is what God is asking us to do is to stand against the pagan ways of our time. So how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to have the strength to do that? Remember the law of Moses was a law, but it didn't give the strength to stand against it. What the Jews didn't know about what was happening is that what was happening was a prefigurement of what God was going to do in the future. That this was all a prefigurement of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do for his people. And the difference between the law of Moses and the, the law that Jesus Christ would give in the new covenant, which wasn't different, but the difference was that Jesus Christ is God. And so he will give us the strength to keep that law. He will give us the seven sacraments, seven helps that will help us, will give us the grace, God's actual help, moment by moment, day by day. Not that the Jews in the Old Testament didn't have God's help. If they called upon the Lord, they had his help. And there were those who were faithful, even in the midst of the debauchery. There were always those who were faithful. But the Old Testament Paschal mystery of the Passover lamb was pointing to the New Testament, the mystery of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, 
What does John the Baptist say? Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. He is the Lamb. And look at Revelations 5. What does John see in Revelation 5? Oh, no one can open the scroll or break open its seal. No one's found worthy. And the angel says to him, when he starts to cry, John starts to weep. And he says, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he turns around and what does he see? He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, a lamb standing on its hind feet that looks as though it's been slain, but it's still alive. A lamb who has been slain, who still bears his scars. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying, but lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. The lamb who was slain for us on the cross still bears his scars in eternity and makes of himself a perpetual offering in the presence of his father to free us from sin. He gives us the power to be free from sin. And, and so what is the greatest source of that grace? It's the Eucharist. It's Jesus Christ, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine in the most blessed sacrament of the altar in the Holy Eucharist. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body over the bread. And he said, this is my blood over the cup of wine. He said, this is, this is God speaking. Jesus is the son of God. And he says, this is my body. Remember, this is the one who said to the storm, quiet, be still. This is the one who walked on water. This is the one who changed water into wine at Cana of Galilee. When he speaks the word, it happens. So what does it mean when he says, this is my body? Don't go away. We will have more on Corpus Christi when we come back on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on this first Friday of June, June 4th, 2021. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers and sacrifices. Thank you for um, Stations of the Cross and all the stations that pick up our signal and for all those who are listening. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you again for joining us on this first Friday of June, June 4th, 2021 on Bible with the Barbers. We're looking at the Eucharist now. And um, I also want to mention, I do answer the app listener questions. Um, I, I have to make a little confession here. I, Terry and I recently switched phone carriers and he got me a new phone, an iPhone. And I still need to figure out how to get to the app and be able to look at app listener questions that are actually asked on the app. So if someone has asked a question and it hasn't been answered yet, I, there's more than one ways that the questions come to us. So ask it again, okay? And I will try to get to it. I will try and respond as quickly as possible. Um, I do try and get to all the questions. And sometimes they're practical questions about technical things going on here. And so I always refer to our technical team for that. Sometimes there are questions for specific radio hosts. So I, I do forward the questions to them. But thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for your questions. I love it. It's always a challenge. Um, some of the questions really make me work hard <laughs> to, to do some research. So um, I, I, again, thank you. And um, don't give up. If your question hasn't been answered and it's still bothering you, ask it again. Please, please ask it again. Okay. Um, so the Eucharist... In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Eucharist or principal sacramental celebration of the church established by Jesus at the Last Supper 
in which the mystery of our salvation through participation in the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Christ is renewed and accomplished. The Mass renews the Paschal sacrifice of Christ as the sacrifice offered by the Church. So remember I mentioned that the memorial, that the, the Passover for the Jews, it wasn't just remembering the past. Somehow it made the past present in their midst. And this is what the Catholic Church understands, that when we celebrate the Mass, because there's only one priest, that is Christ himself, he is the high priest. And the, the priesthood of the Catholic Church, every priest participates in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And it is Christ who acts in and through the priest by the power of the Holy Spirit to make the sacraments, to confect the sacraments, okay? And the Eucharist is the sacrament of sacraments because the Eucharist is the sacrament. It's the outward sign of the inward grace. It is his body, blood, soul, and divinity really present among us. Not his body, blood, soul, and divinity as he walked in Nazareth and Galilee and in Judea, but his resurrected, glorified body as he is present in heaven, the lamb who was slain, who still bears his scars, the victim who immolated himself, who is no longer dying, but lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. It is the risen, glorified body of Jesus Christ really present, so much so that the, the, the church, Pope Paul VI in Mysterium Fidei, called the Eucharist the physical reality of Christ. Yes, he is really present because in heaven, he still has a body. The second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. He really took to himself human nature. He really has a body and he still has that body for all eternity, risen and glorified now but he still has his body for all eternity. And he is present in the Eucharist the same way he is present in heaven. Great mystery. I can't explain that to you, except that what I said earlier at the Last Supper, when he took bread and he said, this is my body, this is my blood. It is God. He is speaking. And when God speaks the word, it happens. Just like when he told the, the storm, quiet, be still. When he walked on the water, when he told Peter to walk on the water, and Peter was fine as long as he looked at Jesus. It's when he perceived the wind and the waves, when he started looking at the elements, the circumstances that he started to sink. It's the same Jesus who turned water into wine. It's the same Jesus who raised the widow's son at name, who raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, who raised... Lazarus from the tomb when he had been in the tomb for four days. And now he says, this is my body, this is my blood. These are God's words. And when Jesus speaks the word, it happens. So no, I can't explain that mystery to you. That's a mystery that God has revealed to us. We have to humble ourselves before the mystery. How should we respond? Do we really believe that God is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of blessed bread and wine, the second person of the blessed trinity, the God-man in his risen, ascended, glorified body is really present. He still remains the second person of the Blessed Trinity, united to the human nature of Jesus of Nazareth. But he's risen, ascended, and glorified now. His human nature has died and has risen and will never die again. But wherever the Son is, the Father and the Spirit are there too. So when we receive the Eucharist, yes, we receive Jesus, and we are worshiping the second person of the Blessed Trinity, but we're also worshiping the whole Trinity because the Father and the, the, Father and the Spirit are there. Because wherever the Son is, the Father and the Spirit are. Wherever the Father is, the Son and the Spirit are. Wherever the Spirit is, the Father and the Son are. But the Father is not the Son and he's not the Spirit. And the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. This is the faith of the church, the ancient faith of the church. Look up the Athanasian Creed. This is what the church has always believed from the beginning. 
The church believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, so much so that martyrs died for it. People died to protect the Eucharist. St. Tarsis, Tarsisius <laughs> comes to mind immediately. He died to protect our Lord. Because in the Eucharist, Christ is vulnerable. And yes, he does need our protection. And no, we shouldn't approach the Eucharist in the state of mortal sin. Father Roberts, Father Ken Roberts said, you know, when he was growing up in England, Corpus Christi was proud to be Catholic Day because it was the day that Catholics put Jesus in the monstrance and the priests carried him out to the streets and blessed the four corners of the city and the world. And this is what Catholics should be doing still. We should be having Corpus Christi processions. We should be adoring Jesus because he really is God present among us. And even if you're not Catholic, you can come into a Catholic church and adore Christ present in the Eucharist. It's not because of what we people do here on earth. It's because God himself acts in and through his priesthood. And it's not dependent, actually, on the state of the priest's soul. Because it's God's mystery that he will act in and through his priesthood. Just like the priests at the time of Jesus, the high priest, he had prophetic powers because he was high priest that year, and he said it's better for one man to die for the nation than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He prophesied, Caiaphas prophesied, that Jesus would die for the whole nation because he was high priest. And as high priest, the Lord spoke through him. He didn't understand fully. He was putting the Messiah to death. He was calling for the death of the Messiah. And yes, he did die for the whole nation, and not just this nation, the scripture goes on to say, but for all people of all time. He died for everyone, but his death is efficacious only if we accept it. His mercy will only come upon us if we say, Lord, have mercy. God doesn't just forgive us. God's willing to forgive us, but we have to ask. So Jesus is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, not because I believe it, but because he said it. This is my body. This is my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ died to save us. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he gave to the church this wondrous sacrament, which, by the way, all the other sacraments, the other six sacraments, flow from the Eucharist and point to the Eucharist. We're baptized. We receive God's grace in our souls so that we can receive the Eucharist. We receive confirmation so we can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can prepare us to receive the real presence of Jesus Christ, of God, of the God-man into our souls. We have confession so that when we fall into sin, you know, if we fall into mortal sin, we can confess that and we can go devotional confession. You don't have to wait till you fall into mortal sin. Practice confession. Go every month whether you have a mortal sin or not. Get in the habit so that if you do have the misfortune of committing a mortal sin, you'll be ready. You'll run to confession. You'll know immediately, I need to go to confession. You know, sin darkens the intellect and it weakens the will. And the more we sin, the harder it is for us to see our sins. And the easier it is. No number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin. But the more venial sins we commit, every sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. So it makes it easier for us to fall into mortal sin. Okay? The sacrament of the priesthood. Yes, the Eucharist is definitely flows from the Eucharist and points to the Eucharist. The priest is there to be Christ. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. He is the Paschal Lamb. And the, the priest is uniquely identified with the Paschal Lamb. He is to be the visible Paschal Lamb in our midst. 
sacrificing himself for his people, but people don't leave the priest without your prayers and your support. Pray for him, sacrifice for him. The anointing of the sick, where we are anointed and give, given the Eucharist as the viaticum if we're dying, the food for the journey and marriage. Yeah, family. Remember, marriage is a beautiful sacrament and it's highly un- underrated and underappreciated. Marriage was established by God in the beginning. He made them male and female. And a man shall cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is made for love and for life because marriage is supposed to be the living image of the Trinity. The Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a community of love and life. As John Paul II said, the original family, the father from whom all fatherhood takes its name. Okay? He is the original family. So the Eucharist is there. It's Christ among us. It's Jesus present. And we reserve the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle to be taken to the sick, but also for adoration. We should adore. Do we believe that Jesus is in the Eucharist? How many Protestants have said to their Catholic friends, if you really believe Jesus was in the Eucharist, if I really believed what you say you believe, I'd be on my knees in that church every spare minute I had. Do we believe? Are we on our knees adoring Jesus in the Eucharist? Can you spare an hour a week to spend with our Lord? He gives you himself fully without reserve in the Blessed Sacrament. He holds nothing back. His whole godhood, his whole manhood, all of his gifts, everything that is his is yours because he is yours when he gives himself to you in the Eucharist. Do we understand Let us go back to our roots. Let us renew our belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Let us study the scripture. Let us study the prophecies that God showed that he would do this. And no, it wasn't understood by the Jews in the Old Testament that this is what he would do. They didn't even understand that God was a trinity of persons because in the Old Testament, they followed pagan ways and all the pagans worshiped multiple gods. If God had revealed himself as a trinity, they would have been worshiping all three persons as individual gods. (laughs) So God had to reserve that. You can't know he's a father until you know he's a son. He has a son. And his son came to reveal the reality to us. And we're coming against the end of this show. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 4th. Next weekend, we will have the men's conference here at the chapel. Thank you all those who have registered. And um, thank you all our supporters, those who've support us financially, those who support us with your prayers and sacrifices, and those who listen, all of those who listen. And may God bless you and reward you. And may this Virgin Most Powerful Radio Endeavor apostolate touch your hearts and draw you closer into the love of God. And may you know the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and the tremendous love that he has for you individually as an individual person. God love you and richly bless you. Go visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Tell him how grateful you are. We'll see you again, God willing, next week. Same time, same station.